running away from people now. 20, 10, and gone. Moniel, 67-yard touchdown run. I've got reporters' <laughs> notebooks older than Seth. Fati was always him. soft. Can't uh, win on the road, they say. <laughs> DeVito pop pass end zone. Touchdown and the ball game. DeVito in relief wins it for the Orange. This is Orange Nation brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fontes. We welcome you to a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 is the number. If you'd like to get involved, we'll certainly talk some SU football today. The Orange back from a bye week. Dino Babers addressed the media yesterday. We didn't get to it on the show uh, yesterday, but we uh, we can today. We also had Julian Wiggum on the television version of Orange Nation last night. He had some interesting things to say about the end of this season and, and where the program goes from here. We'll have Nate Mink on our program coming up at the top of our number two at one o'clock. Nate Mink from Syracuse.com will join us. But we begin the show today by talking basketball. And Seth, uh, we heard from Jim Beheim this morning for the first time uh, in his own words since testing positive for COVID-19. Obviously released the statement over the weekend, uh, but appeared on uh, Gomez and, and Lisa in the morning over on TK99 and uh, shared some of his thoughts about uh, his diagnosis and uh, and where things go from here. Good to hear from the coach this morning. Yeah, it certainly was. And why don't we start with just that idea, the, the uh, you know, the 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 idea that he, he felt like he was being pretty careful and, and you could still get it, and he gives us an update on how he's doing. Uh, this thing can hit you, and it's a lesson for for everybody, really. It doesn't matter, you know, being unbelievable, super careful, masks, uh, social distancing, uh, everything. You know, it's just a crazy thing. At practice, I don't get within 20 feet of a player on our team. I just I stay completely away from them and, uh, you know, yell a little bit, raise my voice a little bit. Mm-hmm. but we keep everybody away from each other, and, you know, try to have practice, but completely spread out as much as possible. But uh, no matter what you do with this, uh, this can happen. And it uh, doesn't matter how careful you are or what you, what you do. It's just uh, this thing spreads. Uh, thankfully, uh, you know, I got lucky. Uh, I feel great. I was a little tired for a day or two, but that's it. Normally this time of year, I'm tired anyway. I didn't mm-hmm. even yeah. think I had anything. So, again, that's Jim Beheim uh, on with uh, Gomez and Lisa this morning over on TK99. Good to hear from the coach that he's he's doing well. He feels good. Um, and, and that's the thing about this virus, Seth, as we know, that it affects everyone differently. You have some people who are asymptomatic, some people who show a lot of symptoms, uh, and fortunately, as, as Coach said, he's one of the lucky ones. He was tired for a couple of days, didn't think much of it. But other than that, uh, he's he has no other symptoms. I know he said during the interview that his wife, Julie, uh, is feeling fine as well. They, they do not have her test result back as of yet, uh, but they got her tested and still waiting on that result. But she feels fine, and the kids haven't been living at home, so they're not worried about them. And as Coach said, they've been socially distant in practice for exactly this reason. If someone were to contract it, they, they want to do their best to, to limit the damage, and so far so good anyway, I guess. Yes, that's exactly what it seems. It seems like they are doing what they can. You know, they say that they're socially distanced at practice. They say that they are uh, 
you know, spreading out enough. They said that they, um, you know, he, he says that the kids haven't been home, so you hope that the kids are all right and that, you know, for now, Julie doesn't seem to be feeling any symptoms. He says he doesn't feel any symptoms, uh, you know, aside from being uh, a little tired for a couple of days. So I think all in all, you you hear what Jim Beheim has to say and, and you say that's a, a really positive update. You know, that that's great. You know, you know we heard we heard from Brent Axe um, on the show yesterday. He he called in at, at the start of his show on the block and, and he said, you know, he's he's feeling all right. He's got some mild symptoms, but he's feeling okay. And, and you know, if it's if it's getting to somebody like Brent who's who's what almost ha- a little a little more than half Jim Beheim's age, uh, you know, it, I I'd imagine that if if the symptoms got the you know got to Jim, it, it could it could uh it could at least be uncomfortable. And so um, you know, at, at least for the time being, it seems like things are going all right. Happy birthday, by the way, to to Jim Beheim. Turned seventy six today. We should mention uh, happy birthday to our good friend Sal Manine as well, uh, Coach Beheim and and Sal uh, share a birthday. Um, but yes, you great- know, Sal texted me last night about what? out of the blue. He texted me, and I I got to find this because it will totally not surprise you um, if you had to take a guess when he texted me. When he texted you. Um, well, Sal is very much a night owl, and they're an hour behind in Houston. So I'm going to say after the 11 o'clock show down there, so I'll say 1230. 1215. 12, 12, pretty okay. close. Pretty, pretty close. Maybe he was done with whatever he was doing. Yeah, then. pretty close. He just said, uh, so if I have to possibly become a Nets fan in the next 48 hours, what should I know? <laughs> He is a big James Harden fan. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that was the start of the conversation. I said they've been a terribly sad franchise, except for about a five-year run in the early 2000s. We'll certainly get more into that, and we can talk more about it uh, on today's business. But yeah, James Harden turning down uh, $103 million over two years. Turning down the chance to become the first $50 million man in the NBA. Uh, he wants to play for the Brooklyn Nets, but... Um, they're going to have to trade him in order for him to get there unless he wants to wait a couple of years because he's still under contract for a couple of years. But we'll get to that uh, later in the show. Back to Bayheim. Um, certainly good to hear that that he's doing well. And, and I think this this struck both of us uh, from the conversation this morning, Seth, in that you know you might think that maybe his message would change now that that he's you know uh, been diagnosed with with COVID nineteen and tested positive for it. Um, but you know he stayed consistent with his message. What he was saying last week. Uh, you know, in the media availabilities on Thursday to the local media, to the national media, uh, his his message has remained consistent uh, going into this week. It really has. And um, I, I don't know that I was totally surprised by it. I don't think that surprised is the right word, but I did find it interesting. You know, he, he said the the same players want to play kind of thing. And I, and I don't I don't doubt that at all uh, in any way. Uh, but, you know, he, he said the same. Hey, uh, we've got to keep kids in school. Having kids learn at home is not um, not working, right? You know, it's it's not working as well. He, he said similar things about be careful, and you don't know if it'll, uh, you know, it, it could still get you even if you're careful. He mentioned Tom Izzo, and that you know he talked to Tom Izzo, another Hall of Fame coach who recently tested positive, and that both of them were just kind of like, we don't know how this happened. Yeah. You know, we we were taking the precautions. We don't know, uh, but I, I I just thought it was interesting to hear. Uh, Jim, after testing positive, come out and basically have the same approach of like, hey, 
We'll try and play some basketball games. Hopefully the season can still start on time. And you know what? If we've got to cancel a game here or there, we've got to cancel a game here or there. Like not not getting into the Rick Patino camp of let hey, let's move the season back uh, a couple of months. Like he he's still very much in the same mindset. His message all along has been we got to find a way to play games. We got to find a way to live our lives is essentially what his yes. message is in in all facets, not just with basketball, but you know, his message is listen, COVID is here. It's not going anywhere. We got to continue to live our lives. We got to fight our way through it and we and we can't let it stop us. And um, and his message is, is very much the same. I know you have a, a few other comments pulled from the interview today. Um, and, and that was you know one of the aspects he, he spoke about, the, the players. The fact that, listen, they, they understand the risks. They share in the concerns. Um, but they want to get out there and, and they want to do what they love to do. And that's, that's play basketball. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what his message is. And, and you said it. The, the players, um, you know, I said it before, you said it just there. But... Uh, he Jim Beheim is is kind of continuing to push, and it's been his message. The players want to play. The, the players, first and foremost, want to play basketball. And the alternative would be to just send them home, and that's not a safe thing to do. Our players are way safer up here than people are around the country where the rates are so high. So even though we can have a positive, we we have two people, but nobody's sick, and everybody should be fine. We'll be fine, I believe. But we'll try to play, and we'll try to see how we can get through school as best we can. Again, that was Jim Beheim uh, on with Gomez and, and Lisa this morning over on TK99. Um, and I understand what he's saying. Listen, you know, you said that the you know the education online it's 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 not working. It's certainly not the same. Um, and and I feel for uh, you know I teach a class up at Syracuse University and we almost got through the semester. We were a couple of weeks away uh, from getting through the semester and then they you know they had to reverse course and and put everybody online. It's certainly different. I feel for the kids at the college level. I feel for my kids at the high school level. Uh, you know my daughter's been going hybrid. You know one day on one day off. She's now completely uh, remote. My son's going every day. It's just, you know, every week it's something different. And um, and so I do feel bad from an academic perspective for these kids. But his point about, you know, you send college kids home to their, you know, to their hometowns. Um, and that what's to say that things are any better there? Or, you know, you, you don't want to put them out into the community. Um, so it is, I think, safest to keep everybody um, you know, at least from the basketball perspective, keep them here, keep them in uh, some semblance of a bubble. With all the college kids gone, there is a there is some semblance of a bubble uh, here on campus with with all the sports teams. It, we've we've seen football. I mean, they they've yet to have a positive test in their program. Um, it's impressive. Least, yeah, it it is. I mean, the season is more than two months old, and the football team has been clean. The basketball team had been clean uh, going back to when. Players reported back to campus the the first week of July. Um, so it's it is impressive what they've been able to do at Syracuse University. These things are going to pop up. Coach, as as you pointed out, Seth said he doesn't know how he got it. That you know he's been going out to dinner here and there, but they've been taking precautions when they're out to dinner. They've obviously been taking precautions, you know, in the office and on the court at work and uh, trying to remain socially distant and wearing a mask and doing everything they can. That's the thing about this this virus is that. You can take all the precautions you want, um, but it can still find a way to to hit you or hit somebody you know that 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 you love. Um, 
But again, the the basketball players want to play. As coach said, COVID's here, and and you got to find a way to to fight your way through it. And and the team's trying to do just that. We should point out um, that the team is being tested today. At least that's what I've been told. Uh, doing another round of testing today, and then the results of those tests will kind of help determine where they go from here. If there are more positive tests that you know you would lean toward a postponement of the the season opener, I would think. If everybody comes back clean, then maybe you, you move forward with the you know the game scheduled where it is. But they'll know more information when they find out the results from this latest round of testing to see where they stand, and then that will help them make decisions about the next week, week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, well, so that's one of the things that I, I'm interested in. I'm intrigued by as as far as the basketball is concerned, right? Once once you get past the idea that uh, you know people have this virus, and now you've got to deal with living with this virus and hoping that everybody's all right. I'm interested in the basketball kind of aspect of this. Um, you know, it, it it comes within two weeks of your season opener. You're not going to practice for the time being. You know, who knows the next time you're getting on the practice court? Uh, who knows when Jim Beheim will be allowed I- into the Mellow Center and onto the practice court and with his team? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know what happens with that game. You know, and, and factor in that next week is a holiday week. And that, in theory, you're probably at least taking the Thursday off. Um, you know, what What do you do as far as that game next Friday? And, it, you know, what you're saying makes a whole lot of sense. Check what check what's going on. If there are other guys who are positive, well, then you, you probably aren't going to play that game next week. And if there aren't guys who are positive, maybe you can find a way to move ahead with that game. As, as much as personally, I would probably say, hey, just wipe it out, you know? Just just wipe it out and and move on. You're not losing gate receipts. You're not losing concessions. You're not losing parking money. Um, you know, I I'd imagine I'd imagine that there are provisions in these non-conference game contracts that you don't have to pay Bryant if that game gets canceled due to COVID reasons. I mean, we we know that these contracts are a little more complicated than they have been in years past. Um, I, that that has been communicated to us. I know that it's these contracts are more complicated, and it's led to some of the delays in getting these games on on the schedule officially. But I'd imagine that that's one of the complicating factors. The ACC network is not taking away money because one Syracuse basketball game is not, you know, is not on the board. Yes, it might hurt us financially as as a radio station that does pre and post game shows. It might hurt, you know, the the folks at the the um, Learfield IMG who who are broadcasting the game rights and who sell the advertising in the dome and and things of that nature. But you know, it's it's not like there's like I, I don't know what the widespread financial implications are of canceling one Syracuse versus Bryant game and why you might not just look into Yeah, and I, I think certainly the financial losses of that particular game take a back seat to the, the safety and you know making oh. sure that everybody's healthy and, no, and I'm, so on and so I'm forth. I'm saying why you wouldn't just like announce it yesterday. Well, because, I, again, I think you, the, the coach, and, and I, I understand that the players want to play, the coach wants to play, the university wants to play. Like, they want to get out there. As, as coach has said all along, COVID is here to stay. We're going to push through it. So if they deem it safe to play, then of course they're going to want to go out there and play the game. And I understand what you're saying. Why not take you know a precaution, take a few extra days off before you start things up? And and maybe they'll do that. Um, we should point out, and I know we mentioned it on the show yesterday, we'll mention it again. Mathematically, it is possible that Jim Beheim is available to coach that game. Again, the NCAA guidelines, and they're just guidelines, it's not you know gospel, but the NCAA guidelines say that 
you come out of isolation, you're eligible to come out of isolation 10 days after you test positive if you have no symptoms. If you do develop symptoms, it's 10 days after the onset of those symptoms. So, again, coaches said that he's asymptomatic. He was a little fatigued, but, again, that was before the, the positive test. So 10 days forward from the positive test would be in time to coach the game Friday night, next Friday. So he, mathematically, he's eligible to be there. Uh, assuming that you know he stays healthy and and uh, he doesn't develop symptoms, um, but again, I think they're going to look at the test results from today. They're going to decide if it's safe, and if it is safe, I wouldn't be surprised if they move forward and play that game next Friday. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me for for them to move forward and play that game. I, I think that um, I, I think that in all likelihood they they will right. Like I think that in all likelihood, if if they get uh, this round of testing that you mentioned, if it comes back clean, they'll they'll try everything they can to play that game. Um, one of the interesting things I, I think is uh, they had been testing once a week in the not you know outside of the season. They were going to move to three times a week, and and Jim Beheim said this morning that rather than wait till next week, which is their first game week, they are going to test three times a week this week. That makes sense. Um, which, yeah. again, makes sense when you get a positive. So maybe that positive doesn't show up today. Maybe it shows up, uh, you know, on Thursday when they test or on Saturday when they, you know, it's, I, I'm curious to see how this whole week plays out because it, it certainly could uh, could come at some time later. It's not you know automatically going to pop up today. We're not going to know tomorrow that there's another positive right. in the program. Right. We know there's an incubation period, and, and for most people it's two to five days, but it can be up to 14 days. That's why when you're exposed they tell you that you should quarantine for 14 days. Um, so you're right. I mean, if this is truly three, four days removed from a positive test, what's to say that a positive test doesn't pop up next week? That is obviously possible, and – you know, if that it's happens, obviously always a concern, right? And then if that happens, then then your plans change. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. Let's go to the phone line. Stephen in Syracuse is kicking us off on the show today. Hey, Stephen. Hey guys, how's it going there? Good. How are you? Okay. Well, this is disconcerting news. You know, considering uh, Bayheim and things surrounding the program, but I don't foresee anything really changing as far as attendance or anything at the games or anything of that nature because it's all up to the governor's office. And, you know, the way they're proceeding right now, it's looking like it's going to be a long winter. And, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not too disappointed as far as this goes, but I just wish there was, there was better network coverage surrounding, you know, the games, things like that. And, I just don't. I don't feel like the ACC has really stepped up to the plate where it comes to this. You know, they've done a good job in football, but basketball. I'd like to see a little bit better job as far as local coverage. You know, I, I think that's they're just lagging behind, sort of. All right, Stephen. Appreciate appreciate you checking in. Um, you know, I, I do think that the ACC did a nice job during football season. We've talked about this. How they, you know, were uh, basically out in front of this and one of the first conferences to come back. And they were smart to get started early and build in some flexibility in their schedule. We've seen a lot of postponements and cancellations. And they've, for the most part, they figured it out because they built in flexibility to their schedule. And that is one of the things, Seth, that you and I have been critical of uh, in terms of the, the basketball schedule. They, they didn't build in a lot of flexibility. So um, it is going to be interesting to see when positive tests pop up because they will. How the teams, how the conference, uh, you know, handle these adjustments on the fly to to have this happen before the season starts, 
it's a little bit easier than in the middle of the season because, again, as you said, are, is anybody going to miss a game against Bryant? It's not the end of the world. Right. Are you going to miss a, a game against North Carolina or Duke? Yeah, you would miss that. So, um, you know, it's a little bit easier to adjust on the fly this time of year than it would be, you know, maybe in February. Right, and and like I said, you know, losing one game off of the ACC network is not going to cause ESPN and the ACC network to be like, whoa, 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 guys. Sorry, gotta gotta give us some of that money back. We we didn't get Bryant and Syracuse on three at three o'clock in the afternoon the day after Thanksgiving. Like, that's not gonna happen. What happens is if you start missing a lot of games, right? right? If if you start missing uh five games a team times fifteen teams, and all of a sudden, you know, you're talking about a hundred games or you know, uh, uh, even more than that. Like, you know, that that's when it gets difficult. You know, if if you're if you're looking at the ACC, if you're the ACC network and ESPN, and you're looking at it, and there's like widespread issues, and you're missing uh, 10, 12 games a team. You know, teams are only playing somewhere between fifteen and twenty games, and all of a sudden a Duke UNC game gets knocked off the board, and maybe a Syracuse Duke game gets knocked off the board. Well, that that's when the TV network starts coming to you and says, "Hey guys, uh, we, we need to figure something out," and that's the thing that would be really difficult. For these programs to overcome, that's what the that's what the leagues are trying to protect. They're right. trying to protect that money. You know, Stephen just brought up attendance as well. Um, I, I I do think it's going to be a long winter here in terms of um, you know whether or not fans can go to the games. I, I don't see that happening. You and I have talked about this on the show. I, I just I don't see how that's safe for anybody involved. And and maybe we'll be in a different spot when the kids return to campus, the students return to campus. You know, late January, early February. Maybe for the last handful of home games, you can get in some students, you know, socially distant, and maybe things will be different by then, and maybe there'll be a vaccine. And um, I just, I don't see it. I, I, I don't think we're going to see fans in the dome at all this year. I was convinced of it before the football season started, and I know there were some that were, you know, even up at the university that were saying, "Well, there's a chance." I, I just, I don't see. I how- was, I was convinced that there were going to be no fans uh, in the dome for football. Um, I'm, I'm like. 95% sure we're not going to see fans in the dome for the basketball season, but I think there there is that slight chance when the students come back late January, early February, maybe for the last handful of games you can get some students in there, you know, get a, a very limited crowd, but I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. No, I'm absolutely with you. I don't think there are going to be fans this year. Anyway, uh, No, I don't think there are going to be fans this year uh, in the dome at all, and I, I think that you'll see that in most places around the country is – you know, numbers are continuing to go up at, at alarming rates. It is, you know, something to talk about with this, you know, the the one city hosting the NCAA tournament. You put the, the teams in the bubble there in Indianapolis, uh, all 68 teams. Theoretically, you could have fans. Like, if the fans were in the bubble as well, um, and again, it would have to be a limited number, but they found ways to to bring fans to the games in the NBA bubble, you know, of, of family, you know, family members and, and whatnot of the players. Um, I do think that's possible that maybe we'll see families of, of the players, you know, in the bubble for the NCAA tournament. But outside of that, I just, I don't think it's a, a smart proposition, at least uh, not right now. I know we have to take our first time out. Phone lines are open at 315-437-7644. We've got Nate Mink set to join us at the top of hour number two as we talk some Q's football. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. 
We're back on a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644. Nate Mink from Syracuse.com set to join us at the top of the hour in about 20 minutes from now. But back to the phone lines we go. Dave in Syracuse up next on the show. Hey, Dave. Hey, how are you doing, Steve? Good. How are you? Oh, good. Good. Hey, uh, did I hear right that your colleague or guest uh, uh, on the show, Julian, there was hoping that Syracuse is going to lose the rest of the games for football season? So, yeah, we, we asked him last night, and I appreciate you watching the, the TV show. Uh, we asked him last night uh, what he was hoping to see over the course of these last three games and whether or not they matter. Um, and, and so, Seth, I know you actually have the comments uh, queued up from from last night. So um, he raised an interesting point. He said that the, the games matter to the players, but, you know, him as a former player in the program, he was saying that he would prefer to see them lose these last three games. And so he explains himself. So let's let's play that first soundbite, uh, Seth, from him on the, the last three games not mattering. I really don't think that these games matter for the program. In fact, I hope that they, no, I shouldn't say this, but I hope they lose them just because I want things to be as bad as possible so that this program really evaluates itself and really figures out why are we struggling? Is it our recruiting tactics? Is it what we're doing as a football program? What are we offering kids? Now, I want the program to elevate itself so that this low point that they feel and will continue to feel for the next few weeks is a point they never want to go back to again and learn the lesson here and begin to elevate themselves to a true contender in the ACC. So, you know, these three games, yeah, on the field, like for players, it'll be valuable for them to learn something. But as a program for the administration and the people that really make moves around there, uh, I, I don't, I want things to, you know, be at rock bottom so that they can figure it out and get this team going in the, in the direction that they should, because Syracuse football shouldn't look this way uh, despite not having the off season. And, and I, I do believe things start at the top. All right, so Dave, I'll be honest with you. I was not expecting that answer from him when I we asked the question, you know, do these games matter? How much do they matter? What are you hoping to, to see out of this team moving forward? I understand his frustration. I understand his point that 1 in 10 forces you to look yourself in the mirror and kind of assess where things are. What, what are your thoughts on the comment? Well, I guess I really don't uh, don't appreciate it because, you know, these kids are out there trying their hardest and the coaches, you know, setting a game plan and to win the game. It's like uh, uh, that that coach for the Jets there. Uh, yeah, Adam uh, Gase, yeah. Or, or you're you're thinking Herm Edwards? You play to win the uh-huh. game, right? Right. Yeah. You're you're you play to win the game, and you know for for him to say something like that, it, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a a disgrace to the to the uh, to the football team, I guess. Uh, it's just my opinion, but. You know, I, I guess I just didn't appreciate. I've, I've been a long-time fan, and that, that's one thing I don't want to hear. Winning breeds confidence, and confidence. You know, you know, if you have confidence, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, go into the game thinking you're gonna win the game. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. I, I really didn't appreciate the comments he made, and uh, you know, I've been a long time. Just uh, watch her that show, and you know these things are going to pop up. But I, I, I do think the bubble's a great idea. I know logistically there are some issues where you know how do you put up sixty-eight teams and it, it'll be costly. But it, it's it's more costly to not play the tournament. Um, again, an estimated three hundred seventy-five million dollar loss last year to the NCAA uh, by not playing the tournament. So it's costly 
to figure out how to put up 68 teams and um, you know, logistically, there are going to be some challenges with you know how many games you can play in a short period of time and how many courts you need to use and how many different sites and so on and so forth. Um, but we've seen with the NBA and NHL in particular that the bubble works. And if you want to guarantee yourself the you know the best chance of success with the NCAA tournament, the bubble is the best idea. It is. No, it absolutely is. Uh, one thing that I would, one thing that I do uh, think is is interesting that that Jim mentions, and it's it's something we've talked about before like look the bubble is the best idea you've seen it with the nba with the nhl even the champions league uh, you know over in europe all got into one place and and bubbled up there the thing that i i kind of push back on when you say and jim bayham said at the end sports leagues all over the country and all over the world have played have found a way to finish out their seasons or start their seasons and play outside of college football Everywhere in the world, you're talking about professionals. You know, you're talking about adults. You're talking about, you know, grown people who are making these decisions for themselves, who are getting paid and paid well to to do this, and they are going and they are performing their job. You know, much like I'm coming here and you're coming here and, you know, you're going to Channel 9 and, you know, you are going to do your job. And, yes, their job might be playing a sport, but that's what it is. Um I I still have a really hard time saying that college kids fall into that same category. Like they they're not in that same place. You know, you're you're asking uh college kids to do something. So of course when you ask, "Hey, do you want to play basketball?" an 18-year-old kids can say, "Of course we want to play." Uh like I I do think that the I I do think that the situations are different when you compare college basketball and college football to any other sports league in the world. And, well, and it's not just college football, though, Seth. I mean, college soccer, you know, played. College field hockey played. Um, you know, so it, it's it, it hasn't been just football. I understand what you're saying. I mean, football gets a lot of the attention. And, and you're right. I mean, there is a distinction between a pro athlete versus a college athlete versus a high school athlete. I mean, that's why I, I think there's very little chance that we're going to see high school sports this winter. Uh, in fact, the, the state, and we should mention this, the state today – not the governor's office, but the governing body of New York State Athletics pushed the start of the winter sports season for high-risk sports. So that's, you know, basketball and volleyball and wrestling and uh, so on and so forth. Ice hockey uh, pushed back the start to January 4th. So it was supposed to be the middle of November. Then it was pushed to the end of November. Then it was pushed to the middle of December. And now they've pushed it to, to January 4th. And and again, the, the governor's office ultimately has got to sign off on it and, and give his go-ahead. Um, but they, they basically just keep pushing it back, trying to buy themselves some time and hoping that things change and cases come down and there's, there's a vaccine and so on and so forth. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. Just like I'll be very surprised if we see fans inside the Dome at all this year for college basketball, I'll be very surprised, unfortunately, if we see high school, quote-unquote, high-risk sports take place this winter, you know, basketball, hockey, so yeah. on and so forth. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there's there's clearly a difference between, you know, being a high school athlete and being a college athlete. There's clearly a difference, in my opinion, from, uh, well, I mean, there's no difference, but there is because of the way that no, it's you're treated right. You're right. and being a college right. athlete and being a professional athlete. No, you're so, right. I mean, there know, is a difference. There, there are different stages to this, and I think that you have to, you know, treat each one accordingly. Yeah, there, there's no doubt, and, and I feel... Uh, you know, much better about an NFL player being asked, you know, do you want to play or do you want to opt out? And it, listen, they're a grown man. They can make their decision and, and they're getting paid. It's what they do. It's their profession. Um, but you're right. For for college kids, you know, you, 
it does make you feel a little uncomfortable. Is that is that a fair way to put it? It makes you feel uncomfortable yes. saying, you know yes. what, we're not paying you. We're you know, Go we as this. schools and you know, as television networks and as conferences, we're all making a lot of money. You're not making any money, but but go out there and and you know take on the risk anyway. But the thing is with with college athletes again, they they generally do want to play. I mean, they want to go out there. They love the sport, of course, um, and and they understand the risk. And as as we pointed out yesterday, we don't even know if if you transmit the virus playing sports. You know, it it it, it sounds like it's it's more so in a practice setting or in a team facility or obviously close contact. Um, but we don't know of a lot of examples of the the virus transmitting while playing the sport. So, um, you know, there, yes, there's risk, but I think, you know, the college kids understand the risk and they're willing to take on that risk for the most part. Right, and oddly enough, the risk might come more so in the travel and the hotel stays and, and things of that nature than it does from actually, you know, right. playing the game. Right. I mean, we continue to, to learn more and more about this, you know, as we go. CDC released some guidelines today about uh, holiday gatherings and saying that you shouldn't sing during your holiday gatherings. You shouldn't talk loudly during your holiday gatherings. Um, you I don't. Do you not? Uh, do you not sing on Thanksgiving? Do you not? Um, do you not get together and sing all the great Thanksgiving songs? <laughs> I'm not doing a lot of singing, but I don't know about your family. I think inevitably, when you get a lot of people around the dinner table, voices will be raised. Right? Oh I yes. Mean, oh yes. That just comes with the territory in any family. But in any way, uh, CDC is you know recommending you don't raise your voice, you don't sing, and you keep pets away from strangers um, because now that's a thing as well. They're concerned that pets are, are you know have the ability to get sick and transmit the virus as well. So we continue to learn you know more and more about the virus as we go. Things change as we move along, and you know everybody's doing their best to, to adapt to those changes. We do have to take another time out. Phone lines remain open at 315-437-7644. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Steven Seth back with you on Orange Nation. Uh, I mentioned uh, that I, I followed up on Julian Wiggum's uh, comment about hoping that Syracuse loses its last three games. Um, and so I, I offered him the chance to kind of clarify that comment on the TV show last night. Uh, we'll get to a couple phone calls here in a moment, but, but here's Julian's response to my follow-up question. For guys playing, every game matters. I don't want that to be confused. If you're on the field, if you're on the roster, if you're playing, Every game matters. If you're a coach, especially a young coach, these reps, these games matter, right? The only reason I say I hope that or believe things are going to keep trending downward and I hope that this program learns from it is because just as an alumni and pride, you know, you don't want to see one in 10 anymore. You know, a lot of other teams are struggling right now, uh, but it, I think it's a matter of looking under the hood, as Coach Urban Meyer would say, and figuring out what's going on. Why is Syracuse constantly at this level and addressing that? Because I, I you know, Having, you know, looking at the outside, looking in on this thing, man, and having been a part of it, knowing what our problems were on the teams I played on, I think that those things can be addressed. And I, I want to see Syracuse in a much better place because I think there's a lot of potential for this program. And so that, that's why I say, you know, there, there's, you know, I, I think that these last three games won't really, you know, matter or, or be important. They're important for the players, but for the administration, I just want to see them do some things for this program and to improve it because it could be so much better. There's a lot of talented guys. And I just hope that they find a way to bring this program to the point that it should be. He's frustrated. He's frustrated. A lot of SU fans are frustrated. A lot of former SU players are frustrated. They see brighter days ahead. They know that that this program can be better, uh, and they and they just want that. And so I, I think that that was his point. 
That's exactly how I took it. Frustration. Not not, you know, not hoping ill will for the people in the program. Frustration. Yeah. And he didn't say blow it up. He didn't say fire the coach. He, he just said look yourself in the mirror and evaluate and let's fix it. Um and with that, let's go to the phone lines. Uh Dom and Syracuse up next on the show. Hey Dom. Hey guys, as the eternal optimist here, I'm going to take Julian's comments and uh, try to make a uh, chicken soup out of chicken poop here. <laughs> right. uh, so it, this is going to sound weird. Uh, if you take wins and losses out of it and the injury aspect, I think this is a fairly successful year. And hear me out on this one before you call me crazy. Exiting last year, we knew we were going to be in trouble. And when COVID hit this summer, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was a faction of fans that said, you know what, maybe they'll cancel this season because we knew it was going to be ugly. And it, what, it is. It is ugly. But if you look at what we got, this year is the ultimate mulligan. We've gotten a new coaching staff. We have a number of freshmen that have received playing time that are playing with house money. Yes, they're playing bad. But they've been able, at low risk, to implement an offense. It hasn't worked yet, but they've gotten a taste of it. And with the ACC, the ACC conference starting early, they, Syracuse will essentially get a full season of play of a new offense with new coaches to really evaluate. It, it, it's, all, it, it's house money. So, yes, we don't like a one-win season. We, don't, we obviously want to win. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, I, I was saying a few weeks ago that Dino has lost the team, and I, that's just not I, – I, I, I take that back. He hasn't lost this team. The fact that we have zero uh, COVID cases points to that. You know, they, they're still disciplined enough to maintain that what's required to, to stay relevant. We've gotten to see a new quarterback. We've gotten to see some freshman players get playing time. I see things trending the right way again. If you take the score, or if you take the the, well, the 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 wins and losses out of it, and injuries, we don't want to see anyone injured, especially Devito. I really do think we're trending the right way. What are your thoughts? Well, Dom, I, you did a heck of a job. You should be commended. Heck of a job uh, trying to convince us. I, I don't know as if I would go as far to say that it's been you know a good year. And I I, I understand your point. The experience is is very valuable. Um, you know, we didn't even know what a Sean Tucker was at the beginning of the season. We didn't really know what a Jacobian Morgan was at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, we're seeing all these young guys in the secondary that will have three and four years eligibility remaining because this year doesn't count against them. I understand the point about the the mulligan. Um, and you're right about the team, uh, you know, still invested. Dino has not lost this team. Good point about the the no positive tests. And, and it's it's uh, encouraging that nothing's coming out of this bye week with positive tests because if you were going to stray from the protocol and everything, that would be during the bye week when you have a little more extra time on your hands. They've had zero positive tests, so you're right. That is a sign that they're still buying. And the fact that it was 16-13 against Notre, or against Notre Dame, against Boston College, that's a sign that they're still invested. Oh, um, no, for sure. But that- it is, it's hard for me to look at you know one win and say – you know, they're moving in the right direction. I understand the point. There's talent in this program. The young guys have gotten a lot of reps. They're going to benefit from that moving forward. This coaching staff with a new offensive defensive coordinator, they've gotten a lot of reps. Um, but the the one win does stick out like a sore thumb. So great attempt, Dom. And I'm with you. I don't think the sky is falling. Um, 
but I, I also can't say that it's you know that it's been a positive year or that that things are necessarily moving in the right direction. Some some things need to change moving forward. The fact that you go from ten wins to five to one. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely couldn't agree more. I mean, look, I understand what Dom's saying. We've been saying that all year that this is a a mulligan. We year. said it's it before a, the season started, yeah, before that, all these injuries took place. We exactly. said this year doesn't really truly matter other than development. Exactly, it's it's a development year. It's a mulligan year, and so you're absolutely right. However, I I can't like you. I can't go ahead and say, hey, it's a you know, it's an it's an okay year. You want you're gonna win one game. And I'm not sure Dom totally buys into what he was saying. I, it was convincing. I mean, he offered a convincing argument. I know he, he wants to be positive and wants to be an optimist. And, and I, you know, I, I was on board with most of what he's saying. But the one win does stick out like a sore thumb. Let's get in one more quick phone call here before we get to Nate Mick. Uh, Brendan and Manlius has been uh, patiently waiting. Hey, Brendan. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Yeah, I guess it'll be the uh, yin to his Dom's yang or yang to yin, however <laughs> you want to look at it. But, um <clears throat> So many different ways to, to approach what Julian said and what you guys are saying. I'll try to compose my thoughts. Number one, uh, regarding Julian's comment, yeah, I guess he didn't call for Dino Baber's job, but if he didn't, he's really towing the line with that because he's talking about what the administration can do and it starts at the top. Dino Baber's at the top of this football program, and the administration, last I checked, doesn't do any recruiting. So if he's not starting to look into a potential job change, then then I don't know what, what he was referring to. But I think that if you want to try to dig really, really deep and try to be optimistic about Syracuse football, what we have to see in this program is Dino Baber's own recruits showing some development. And it was, what, three, four years ago when he had all of us shut our eyes and think of this offense and how, how spectacular it could be. He's fallen woefully short on those expectations. I think and if you want to get your fan base back, it's very, very simple. I think you need to take it on the chin. Stop having empty promises. You've already changed your offensive and defensive coordinator. Do everything you can. Bring in talented players, graduate transfers, fill in this roster, have depth. Get rid of the excuses for next football season, okay? I'm willing to give them a little bit of a mulligan because of what's going on with COVID, but it's time to put up or shut up for next year. And as far as I'm concerned with the new transfer rules, the kids can come in and play right away. Um, Depth should be a lot better. Next year's got to be the year where Coach Baber's basically just puts his uh, his head down, coaching staff puts their head down, and they try to put some wins together because I don't think this fan base is going to want to hear any more excuses after next year. Yeah. I appreciate the call, Brendan. Uh, you're right. Uh, Ying to, uh, to to Dom's Yang. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think Julian was calling for, for Dino's head. I, I know that, that he likes Dino a lot, and and I, I believe that Julian thinks that, he, that he's a good coach and, and can have a – uh, a long stay here um, and have a bright future here. Um, but I, I think Julian's point was it starts at the top and, and do better. Everybody's got to do better, right? The um, From the, you know, the, the athletic department on down to the football team, to the recruiting, to the assistant coaches, to the head coach, to the players, everybody's got to do better. And I, I think that was his point to, to look yourself in the mirror. Um, but I, I do believe that, that Julian thinks Dino's a good coach and, and, I, I'm I'm with Brendan in that the excuses go out the window. I do think that there's pressure heading into next year. Yeah, I for do too. Parties I just, involved. I do too. I just I think he's going to be here through next year and for probably yeah. at least the start of the following year. Yeah, and and he's right. Fans are tired of hearing excuses. I know we're desperately up against the clock. We continue this conversation with Nate Mick next. You're listening to Orange Nation on ESPN Radio.